the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The world is a complicated place. You need someone to expose the political fakers, fixers, and takers, and to cut through the mindless chatter and misdirection to help you make sense of it all. That person is Dan Proft, and this is The Dan Proft Show. Welcome back to The Dan Proft Show. So just a, a comment on uh, the Johnson & Johnson vaccine uh, before we get to our next guest, and that is uh, the uh, concerns about its efficacy per the clinical trial rates of the Johnson & Johnson single jab versus Moderna and Pfizer. I note CNN's coverage here, citing one Dr. Paul Gopford, who's a professor of medicine in the Division of Infectious Disease at the University of Alabama at Birmingham. Quote, that's probably the most important part of the va- this vaccine or any of the COVID vaccines is the protection against hospitalizations and severe disease and dying. It's outcomes. And so the Johnson and Johnson adverse outcomes specifically. And so the Johnson Johnson vaccine as as effective functionally as the other vaccines. And there shouldn't be debate about uh, which you receive necessarily. But even more to the point for your covid enthusiast friends, for those who continue to conflate cases with outcomes, cases as distinguished from adverse outcomes, hospitalization, severe disease, death. This is a reminder from public health professionals, as so commented on in CNN news reporting, that you're wrong. You've been wrong since uh, the outset, and understandably, because to some extent you are misled, information coming from all directions, the idea that we were going to get to zero COVID. But zero tolerance COVID enthusiasts are frauds, frauds. And this needs to be relentlessly repeated and advanced so number one people don't misunderstand the utility of the vaccine and number two we stop making terrible public policy chasing uh, the unicorn of zero tolerance eradication of the virus for more on uh, this in part just the, the topic of covid and specifically with respect to holding china accountable for what has occurred Pleased to be joined again by Dave Seminara. Dave is a former diplomat, author of the forthcoming books, Foot, uh, Footsteps of Federer, a fan's pilgrimage across seven Swiss cantons and ten acts, as well as Mad Travelers, a tale of wanderlust, greed, and the quest to reach the ends of the earth. Dave, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Hey, thanks for having me back on the show, Dan. Uh, some uh, Another important statement that was made, and you cite in your piece uh, that I read over at realclearpolitics.com, uh, Jake Sullivan, President Biden's national security advisor, at this critical moment, protecting the WHO's credibility is a paramount priority, more so than, for example, getting accurate information out of China, more so than determining the origin of the virus. The primary res- uh, uh, responsibility or the primary focus of his State Department, the Biden administration State Department, is protecting the credibility of the World Health Organization. That's a remarkable statement, isn't it? It is. It's pretty amazing, isn't it? I mean, really, I think paramount, especially using the word paramount. I mean, I think the really important thing is to make sure that this never happens again, doesn't it? I mean, this is what I wrote in the article. 
is that uh, this should be a never again moment where we should be doing everything in our power to make sure that we never have another pandemic like this again. And part of that is getting China to hand over that early case data for the early COVID cases of the raw data on that so we can study that. And we had just had this WHO team that was in China for two weeks. It wasn't long enough, apparently, because they did not hand that information over. And China continues to peddle, um, I think, what the left likes to call alternative facts and conspiracy theories about the origins of the virus, trying to absolve themselves of responsibility. And just issuing statements is not going to be enough. Issuing statements like this is not going to be enough to force China's hand, is it? So we need to protect the credibility, such as it is, such as that's possible, of the World Health Organization, which has behaved uh, as was laid bare over the last year as a puppet to the Chinese government. We know the ties of the WHO director to uh, the Chinese government as well, including in his, from his home country, uh, Ethiopia. And in addition to that, uh, the concern should be xenophobia. This is what Vice President Harris is focused on, is concerns about hate crimes against Asian Americans because President Trump uses the term, uses the phrase China virus, apparently. Yeah. You know what? This is a, you know, it comes into a fundamental difference between conservatives and liberals here of how we respond to legitimate uh, problems and, and crimes. I mean, there has been an increase of hate crimes against Asian Americans, but the way to respond to that is to punish people severely who do things wrong. People who break the law need to be punished harshly. That is the way to stop people from having those things happen again. The way to, to address that isn't to be soft on China and to absolve China of responsibility for this. Um, and this is, I think, you know, sort of a fundamental difference between liberals and conservatives. I mean, I think that liberals just want to be soft on people who commit crimes but want to, you know, paint sort of with a broad brush, don't they? Well, uh, speaking of uh, soft on people who commit crimes, um, how about people who commit genocide like the Chinese communists. There doesn't seem to be much in the uh, interest in taking up the cause of the Uyghur Muslims by yeah. the Biden administration either, but about the same as uh, the interest LeBron James has. No, that's a good point. And actually, you know, when I was um, a young man, 20, 21 years ago now, I traveled across, across China on train. I'm very much into travel, as you can tell from the books that I have coming out. But I actually traveled across China by train all the way from Xinjiang province, which is where many of the many of the Uyghurs live, um, all the way across to Shanghai. I spent about a month traveling across China. So this is a country that I know well, and I like China. But um, you know, the Uyghur people and their culture have been completely repressed um, out in the western part of China, and this is something that's sort of gone under the radar. And people like LeBron James. Um, and others aren't too concerned about it, but um, that's a shame. Well, and and the, the way that. Um Joe Biden characterized his conversation with President Xi as well as sort of this this idea that, um, you know, he repeats his lines and I repeat my lines. And then we just go back to the pre-Trump paradigm between the United States and China, uh, even as he simultaneously suggests that China suggests he understands that China is an expansionist power. So, I mean, I, I you know, trying to distill that you understand China is an expansionist power. You're just content to recite the lines from the way of the uh, way of doing business for uh, several presidential administrations prior to Trump. So, I mean, you don't see Chinese expansion as a threat or, you know, what, what exactly is the play there or the understanding or the uh, willingness to uh, tolerate uh, China uh, by the Biden administration? It just seems sort of murky to me. 
Yeah, and Dan, I mean, the Biden administration, the Democrats, I hate to say it too, but I mean, there's been an awful lot of Republicans who have been seduced by the Chinese as well. Yes. I mean, where are the Republicans on this issue? I mean, there's so many issues where, you know, you, you want to say, oh, yes, but the Republicans are on the right side of this issue. But there's a lot of Republicans who are on, just like immigration, there's a lot of Republicans who are on the wrong side of China too. And, and these are, I call them sort of the free trade at all cost types who have that attitude that, oh, my gosh, you know, we can never upset China. Gosh, we can't offend China because, you know, they're our third largest trading partner. Okay, that's important. But look at the economic devastation uh, wrought by this uh, by this pandemic, <laughs> not just on the U.S., but on the entire world. I think it was the IMF who estimated $28 trillion. I mean, you know, I don't have the figures right in front of me, but I think they estimated, you know, the global cost of this pandemic to the world of $28 trillion. Why would we not pull out all of the stops, do everything in our power to work together with our allies, to isolate China, to pressure China, um, to insist that this WHO team goes back to China and does not leave until they get all of the case data, until they receive complete cooperation, Chinese officials. That team should have never left the country. Um, I don't know. I, I, I just I find it I find it crazy. And, you know, Lindsey Graham about a year ago or so. Um, put forward uh, a bill in order to try to punish China and to force them to hand over all of this data and such, and it went nowhere. So it wasn't like all of the Republicans were united. This could have gotten done like a year ago. And now well, and uh, the Republicans yeah. are the minority party, so what are they going to get done now? Probably not much. Well, and it seems, too, just sort of from a common sense perspective, that you have this uh, outflow of American business from China during the Trump administration, ch- moving supply uh, supply lines, supply chains out of China to neighboring uh, Southeastern Asian countries like Vietnam or Singapore, uh, in addition to onshoring business back in the United States, you would think that was that was a happy occurrence and you'd want to continue to encourage it to, as you say, isolate or certainly diminish China, understanding what its no. ultimate ends are. But no. it doesn't seem like that's the case. No, it doesn't. And, you know, this whole thing about, oh, no, we can't say anything about China. Or we can't force China because we're afraid of, you know, xenophobia and such. This is all really silly stuff. I mean, listen, I'm a person who really likes China. I like Chinese culture. I spent more than a month in my own money traveling across this country because I like it. I'm not anti-Chinese. However, that doesn't mean that I like the leadership of the country, and that doesn't mean that I think that we should do everything in our power to stop them and to make them be transparent. I think, you know, there's just a very clear difference. All of this, it's the same thing with immigration. It's like, oh, no, we can't, we can't limit immigration. We can't have um, you know, we can't remove the wealth uh, test. We can't do this and we can't do that because we don't want to be xenophobic. It's, it's crazy. I mean, this is not how you guide policy. You, you guide policy based upon the national interest, not upon fear of xenophobia. That doesn't make any sense. Dave Seminar, a former diplomat, author of the forthcoming books, Footsteps of Federer, a fan's pilgrimage across seven Swiss cantons and ten acts, and Mad Travelers, a tale of wonder, lost greed, and the quest to reach the ends of the earth. As he said, he likes to travel. Dave, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Take care. Take care. Who takes every kind of people To make what life's about, yeah It takes every Grab a good seat and sharpen your pencils. Class is in session with Professor Dan Proft and the Dan Proft Show.